listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Words in your heart by Kate Jamie. This book is about your heart. The little bins have you. That makes you, you. We listen very carefully because it's really important and it might help you be a happier you. And people around you can't happier them. You see, the words that go into your ears can actually affect your heart. The little bins of you, that makes you, you. Words can do amazing things. They can describe things if they are big or if they're little. They can explain stuff so you understand that goes with wish, boom, eyes, bang, tangle, ping. Words can make you happy and make you want to sing. Sometimes words can make us cry. We all know what words those are. You see, sometimes words can be like a deadly arrow that can pierce someone's heart. The little pins have them that makes them dim. Some words can really hurt. Words have power. Your words can actually change the way someone's heart feels. The ribbons of them that makes them them. If someone feels sad, your words can cheer them up. If someone feels weak, your words can help them feel stronger. If someone wants to give up, your words can help them keep going. Your words can make them giggle, make them grin, make them laugh out loud, and run around. Do you get it? Your words are amazing and powerful. How about we use our words to look at each other's hearts? The little business have words that makes us us. Let's try it together and see the difference that makes. Today, somebody's world to be a better place because of you. Thank you. Doesn't that make your heart feel good? Good morning, everyone. The title of the sermon today is The Abundance of the Heart, and it ends our series, Love and Be Loved. So let me just take a minute and reflect on where we've been so far this year. In terms of the church calendar, it started last Advent at the end of 2019, and we had a series on expectation, the expectation of the coming of Christ, the birth of the Messiah, and the way in which we also anticipate and expect the coming of Jesus into our very lives, our day-to-day lives, and the way in which we hope for the second coming. And then as the national calendar started, we, we met to, to meet and to think about what 2020 might hold. 
Now, of course, at that time, we could not have anticipated everything that has happened. But what we did do is we leaned into the values of Oasis as a church, and we planned four series around the church calendar. The first one was Know and Be Known. And we wanted to know God and be known by God. We wanted to know one another and be known by each other. And that opened up into a series then on serve and be served because we don't just want to know each other, but we want to serve one another. We don't want to just know God, we want to serve God. That was during the time of Lent, which led us up to the celebration of the resurrection of Easter Sunday and the whole Easter season. And we called that series Celebrate and Be Celebrated. Now, as we were going through that season, there were some things that we couldn't celebrate, of course, because we weren't gathered together and there was the midst of the the pandemic and also during that time was the death of george floyd and the kind of social um, upheaval that kind of brought again to our attention the the inequalities that are experienced by people in our nation that of course coincided with pentecost and the summer series that we're ending today which is love and be loved Now, we have lots of things planned for the rest of the year, and I look forward to sharing those with you. But for today, we're going to focus on this passage out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. It kind of comes in two sections. One of them is kind of the end of Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees, and they have said, kind of called into question the behavior of his disciples, like, why don't they wash their hands before they eat? And they're not just talking here about personal hygiene. They're talking about kind of following the Torah and following the the ritual codes of the Jewish people. And Jesus is kind of saying, there's some things here that are more important and that what you're putting the emphasis on is not where the emphasis should be. And then we get a story that happens in Jesus's life, one that I think really illustrates um, what's going on in his teaching. So the first half of the message is a teaching, and the second half of the message is a story, but there's a lot to learn from it. Let's listen to this passage from Matthew 15. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind, and if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. 
My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. So the disciples seem to be a bit confused about what's happening here, which might be kind of typical for them in the gospel stories. Jesus says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. And his disciples were quick to say, hey, Jesus, when you said that, that really made the Pharisees mad. And certainly that wasn't a typical thing for a rabbi to say. And certainly a Pharisee wouldn't have said it. Like part of what separated the Jews from other people groups was what they ate and who they would eat with and how they would prepare that food. All of those kosher laws were important boundary markers for them as a people group. Like they believed in one God and that one God had chosen them. And the way that they practiced that was kind of following these rules and these regulations. So for Jesus to kind of question that would be to put him at odds with the Pharisees and the other religious teachers of the day. So Jesus says to them, to his disciples, he's like, you understand, don't you, that what you go in, what goes in your mouth ends up eventually in the sewer. But what comes out of your mouth, that kind of reveals the real contents of your heart. Jesus had already said earlier in this very gospel in another kind of contentious situation with the Pharisees, he would say, out of the mouth, the heart speaks, that the heart, the abundance of the heart, the overflow of what happens in our hearts, we can hear by what we say, our perspectives, our feelings, our emotions, the way we see other people, um, our, our real virtue and kind of identity gets expressed by um, what we say and and what we do. Uh, the disciples are a little confused and and Jesus kind of chides them for it. And it's a it's a kind of contentious uh, situation, or at least it feel it feels that way as I'm reading it. And so as the, all of this kind of comes to an end, we see Jesus kind of retreating a bit, like like moving away. He says he goes to the, the, the land of Tyre and Sidon. It seems like he's, he's trying to get away a little bit from the conflict. And while he's there, this Canaanite woman kind of comes up and she says, uh, Lord, son of David, my, my daughter is sick. And initially, Jesus doesn't respond to her at all. It's the disciples who speak up, and, and they too don't respond to her, really, at least not in, the, not in the text. They speak to Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, why don't you do something? Say something to this woman. Send her away. And so Jesus does say something, but it seems as though it's a generic statement. It's not really directly at the woman so much, but he kind of says that it's, it, it, he has come for the children of Israel. 
a kind of a blanket statement, but it would seem to kind of exclude her. So that if he's there for the children of Israel, then he seems to not be there for this Canaanite woman. But she doesn't take no for an answer. She kind of leans in and she's like, you know, Lord, help me. And so Jesus's next comment is a little starker, maybe more than a little. It's pointed. And he says that the bread is for the children, not for the dogs. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Is, is he calling this woman a dog? Like, certainly that's not the right thing to do. Now, that kind of strikes us. And people um, try to get around it often. I've heard interpreters say that, that somehow culturally that that was a compliment or that it wasn't such a harsh statement. But not unlike our culture today, their culture then, calling someone a dog was not a compliment. But the woman is still not deterred. And she says, look, even, even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. Like the children might eat, but the, the dogs, they have to eat too. And Jesus is like, man, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with your faith. Like your, your daughter is healed. Go and go and be well. So what are we to do with this kind of awkward text? Again, I think there are several ways in which it could be read. There is the, that we kind of over like a sympathetic reading might be to kind of protect Jesus to make it sound like, well, he hasn't said anything harsh here. But I, I think that's that's uh, maybe too sympathetic. Other readings kind of go to the other extreme and say that Jesus is kind of expressing a certain amount of kind of systemic prejudice that the Jews at a, as a people group had against others. And he's, he's kind of relating the same ideas that maybe the Pharisees had that the coming Messiah would be for the Jews, not for the Gentiles, certainly not for the Canaanites who had been the kind of centuries old enemies of the Jews. And that that this woman and somehow in some way she kind of teaches Jesus a lesson that 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 kind of exclusivism is unnecessary and that perhaps if he could open up his heart that he can provide more he can provide not only for the Israelites not only for the children of God but that he could provide for others as well now I think that's a bit of an extreme and maybe an unnecessary reading Certainly, I think it's true that Jesus often gets into these kind of verbal confrontations with people in the gospel. And typically, maybe every case, at the end of the story, Jesus kind of wins. Like the other person either has to kind of walk away or, or they're confused or they just have to deny the truth that Jesus is speaking. This is kind of the only case that I can think of where Jesus gets into a verbal kind of conflict with someone. And at the end, Jesus is like, man, that is really good. Um, I like the point that you had there. So I definitely want to give this Canaanite woman her due. But before we judge Jesus too harshly and we make it out to sound like he's done something that's really wrong here, um, I want to say this. First, I'm not afraid of saying that Jesus could learn something. 
I mean, the Gospels do talk about that. Luke will say that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. And obviously, in his humanity, there would be things that he had to learn. Like he'd had to learn to walk and to talk and, and to be potty trained. I mean, he was a child like any other child in that regard. And I'm sure that his parents kind of taught him things. Um, that his, he learned to pray from his mother. Like we can hear his mother's prayer in the story of, of the Magnificat, again, out of Luke's Gospel. Or he learned uh, construction things, right, from his father. So certainly, I want to embrace the humanity of Jesus and to say that um, Jesus did learn, learn things. That, that's part of what it means to be human, and he was fully human. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I think theologically and spiritually, we're on very shaky ground if, if we go to the point that that Jesus had to learn not to do evil things, not to kind of engage in sin. Because I think in no way did Jesus do that. That is kind of what kind of makes him unique. And particularly if we look at the Gospel of Matthew and, and the story that we've learned of Jesus so far in that Gospel, I think there are a lot of cues from the story that would suggest that something else is going on here. The idea that the gospel is, is broad, that it is, is good news not just for the Jews, but good news for the whole world, is kind of written all the way through this gospel of Matthew from the very beginning. So the gospel of Matthew opens with the genealogy of Jesus. And what's interesting about Matthew's telling of that story of the genealogy is that it actually mentions another Canaanite woman. Uh, it mentions Rahab. She's Canaanite, and she's part of the genealogy of Jesus. It also mentions Ruth. I mean, she's a Moabite, not a Canaanite, but she's not part of the people of Israel. Ruth was not. Yet, she's part of the family tree of Jesus. So we see in both Rahab and we see in Ruth these women who aren't Jewish, who aren't Israelite, but they are part of the very bloodline that will that will produce Jesus, the, the Messiah. There are other, other stories too. The story of the Magi, of the wise men that come. This is unique to Matthew's gospel. Matthew is the only one who tells us this story, but they are the first ones to come and acknowledge Jesus as a king. They come and they worship Jesus, but they too weren't Israelites. They were not Jews. They were, they were from the East. Uh, some argue that they were from the Nabataean capital of Petra. But wherever they were from, they were not part of the, the children of God, right? The descendants of Abraham. And so we have both in Jesus' own genealogy, and we have these magi who are coming recognizing Jesus as, as a king. In fact, this Canaanite woman will do a similar thing. When she calls out to Jesus, she refers to him as the son of David, which would suggest that he's in a royal line, that he could be not just a rabbi, not just a prophet, that if he is a son of David, then he could be the king, he could be the Messiah. So no one in the gospel story up to this point has acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. We're in Matthew chapter 15. It's in the very next chapter that Jesus 
will go again to this kind of non-Jewish place. He goes to Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And it says, some say that you're Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets. And he says, who do you say that I am? He's asking that to the disciples. And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. So that statement, at least in this story, had yet to happen. And it's a Canaanite woman, not, not one of the disciples, not one of the 12, not, not a Jew, not an Israelite, right? But a woman from a Canaanite location who is saying to Jesus, son of David, she's kind of saying pretty much the same thing the Magi were saying when Jesus was just a toddler, right? So they're kind of saying it from one end of the socioeconomic spectrum. They, they were at the top end, right? But they're acknowledging the royalty of Jesus. And she's kind of coming from the other end, kind of the, the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. But she's acknowledging Jesus. There, there are other Gentiles that are in Jesus' story before we get to this woman. At times it says that Jesus will go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That is the, the northeast side, which is a side that was populated largely by Gentiles. So when Jesus picked his, as his headquarters the little fishing village of Capernaum, it's not like that place was particularly important. There were three small villages that were in the close proximity to one another. Capernaum, where Jesus was, was one of them. And then there's Chorazin and there's Bethesda. But it's maybe at the crossroads. It's, it's by a major trade path. But it's really just a small kind of fishing village. But it is close to... Uh, area that was largely populated by Gentiles and Jesus on occasion would go there and when he was there he did his ministry he he delivered a, a pair of of men who were being demonized so these kind of demoniacs are are um, the demons that are oppressing them are exercised they're they're cast away and so that's at least kind of three major stories before we get to this woman where we see in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus's good news is good news not just for a small group of Jews or as a single nation of Israel, but there's this, this kind of expectation that there's, there's more afoot, that there's more at hand that the gospel is going to be broader than what people had expected. It's going to be more inclusive than what they could have possibly imagined. That's the women, again, in the genealogy, Rahab and Ruth. It's the coming of the Magi. It's the deliverance of the demoniacs in the Decapolis and that kind of Gentile region. So to think that somehow with all of that in Jesus's background and even as a reader of Matthew's gospel, having seen all those things up until this point, to think that somehow Jesus's statement to the woman that, um, that he had come for the children of Israel was somehow just saying I, that Jesus thought that his gospel was exclusive doesn't really make sense. In a way, it seems more like a foil, like, like a test. 
So he's just been talking with the Pharisees. In fact, the Pharisees started the conversation at the beginning of chapter 15. Why don't your disciples wash their hands when they eat? And Jesus is like, why don't you honor your mother and father? Like you're focusing on the wrong things. It's like you have the right words, but you're still getting it wrong. Um, to quote one popular movie several years ago, they're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? They're almost getting it, but, but not quite. And they're off enough that they're causing more harm than good. And so Jesus is teaching us, again, that it's not what goes in our mouths that defiles us, but what comes out of our mouth. And what comes out of his mouth seems like it might be something that could defile you, like calling a woman a dog, particularly calling a woman of another kind of ethnic group or nationality a dog. Like it seems to be kind of uh, offensive on multiple, on multiple levels. But what Jesus certainly knows, based on everything else the gospel has told us, and what the woman seems to also know, is what the disciples don't, and certainly the Pharisees don't either. But when Jesus says that statement about the bread being for the children, not for the dogs, some of his disciples or anybody else who was Jewish around there might have thought, oh yeah, stick it to her. Let her know the truth, that we serve the one God and he's coming to deliver us. Fortunately, friends, that's exactly how I think some of us feel sometimes, that, that God is somehow on our side, but not necessarily on their side, whoever they may be, right? The other, the them. I mean, I, I see this sometimes uh, almost at a comic level uh, in athletics, when, when people pray that their team that they root for will, will win the game as though somehow God's going to be for that team and not for the other. Like, God doesn't choose sides, certainly not like that. And what this woman knows is what Jesus also knows. And I read this text almost like he's, he's, he's realizing um, her persistence. He's realizing that it's taken a lot of faith on her part to approach him. And, and she's realizing things about him that people in this story haven't realized since, his, since he was a child, right? Not since the Magi came and, and said, hey, we're looking for the king who has been born. Has someone so identified him with such royalty? And so when she calls out to him as son of David, and as she's reaching across religious lines and national lines and cultural lines, Jesus is like, this woman gets it. And so he lays out this kind of traditional belief, right? This, this metaphor of otherness, that God has chosen Israel and is going to bless Israel. And even if that means that others are deemed second rate, but she again is not deterred. And she says, yes, but everyone deserves, all right, the blessings of this coming kingdom. 
everyone deserves to to live in a place where you reign and rule. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. You get it exactly right. So this, my friends, I think is a great example of what it means to love and to be loved. It means to, to kind of reach beyond the, uh, the boundaries that would, we would normally draw, whether that's national or whether it's ethnic or whether it's cultural or whether it's gender, even, even along religious lines. Know that everyone you meet is created in the image of God. Everyone you meet, Jesus died for. Every person you meet is, is a creation of God and God loves them. And, and they are our neighbor. And so all of the Torah, all of the law can be summed up in loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourself. And this is a great example of that. So let's love and let's be loved and let's let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight every day. There's a psalm that ends with those exact words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray that that might not just be uh, a benediction, a good word to kind of end this sermon, but I pray that maybe throughout this week, let, let those ideas kind of, kind of marinate in your soul, meditate on them, that it's not what goes in our mouths. It's not our rules and regulations. It's not our morals and our piety. It's not the scruples that we learn from our parents. Not to say that those things were wrong, but, but they're only good to the extent that they, they help us identify who we are. But at some point, who, who we think we are needs to be set aside. The ego needs to be displaced so that our true selves, who we are in Christ, might be experienced and lived and, and practiced. So, we believe, we believe this, that out of the words of our mouths, the abundance of our heart so speaks. And so we pray, dear God, fill our hearts, fill our hearts with joy, fill our hearts with love and mercy and grace and forgiveness goodness and kindness and gentleness and patience and self-control. Let that be what overflows out of our hearts and let that be then what we speak so that it's not envy or jealousy or, or, or spite that kind of comes out of our mouths and defiles us. But again, goodness and, and love and mercy and kindness so that we can be kind of like this Canaanite woman people who weren't born into God's chosen group, but people who nevertheless get included out of the goodness and grace and mercy of Jesus of Nazareth, who is the son of David and the King 
not just of Israel, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the King of all the world. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Look forward to seeing you soon. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.